Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. I am opening the word to you today on a strange morning. I'm preaching in a mostly empty church besides my family in a city under a stay-at-home order. There's a pandemic spreading outside of our walls. There are economic uncertainties and medical threats and a complete disruption of the rhythm of our normal lives. And by all accounts, it seems as though this should be a time of fear. But we, friends, are the church. And our faith is in something greater than pandemics or the stock market. Our security is not found in predictability. Our peace is not dependent upon a lack of threat. Instead, we rest on the unchanging nature of our good and powerful God. So if our faith is in something greater, our confidence should not be shaken when those lesser things waver. And our response should not be one of fear, but one of unnatural hope. To say this is easy, but to put it into action is difficult. Nevertheless, it is hope that we must cling to, and it is hope that we must endure. And it is about hope that I wish to speak to you about today. Hope is no mere sentiment for us, church. It is the foundation upon which we stand, and it is the lesson taught to us time and time again in our scriptures. And so, If you have your Bible there with you, um, uh, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is a prophet of God, sent to God's people Israel with a significant amount of bad news. God is not pleased at this moment with the people of Israel. If you simply look at the chapter headings in the book of Ezekiel, you'll see that the majority of them say things like prophecy against Israel something against the nations around Israel, against the people of Israel, against the elders of Israel, against their religious practices, their devotion to him. He calls Jerusalem, the holy city, a a dead vine. He says that they have profaned his holy name. He calls out their priests, their shepherds, their worship. And because of these things, they are suffering. God has sent them into exile, and they are doing no better there, even after being punished from all their sins. Even Ezekiel himself suffers personal loss as his own wife dies in the midst of the suffering of Israel. And so there's 35 chapters discussing the difficulties and the problems and the struggles of the present reality of Israel. And when we come to Ezekiel 36, God tells Ezekiel that for the glory and sake of his own name, that God will restore Israel. He says this, he says, starting in, verse, uh, in chapter 36, verse 24, he says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors 
and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Could Israel dare hope this to be true? A return to the land, a a purification from their impurities, a renewal of their hearts, a restoration of their relationship with God. This is is amazing news and, and profound promises, but it seems impossible with the current state of Israel in exile, divided, no king, no land, no temple. It's easy for God to say that he can restore. But words are simply words without proof of action. And God knows that words are easy, but deeds are difficult. And so he gives Ezekiel a vision of a valley of dry bones. And he walks Ezekiel around so that he sees this vast number. He sees the bleak nature of this valley where there are bones lying all over the ground, where it's full of death and there is no hope. And these are not just any bones, but verse 2 says that they are many and very dry. They're old. They're broken. It is a bleak place without hope and seemingly without a chance for restoration. And then God asks Ezekiel the very potent question in chapter 37, verse 3. He looks at Ezekiel and he says, you've seen these bones. You've seen this valley. Can these bones live? What Ezekiel had just said to Israel, that there was going to be a restoration to the land and a restoration of their relationship with God and, and, and a renewal of their fortunes and all of these things, it seems impossible. And now God is giving this visual, visceral image where he's having Ezekiel look at these bones and he asks his prophet, he looks him in the eye and he says, can these bones live? The restoration of Israel seems just as impossible as a valley full of death being brought to life. And so he looks at Ezekiel and he says, prophesy to these bones. Preach to these bones. Tell these unlistening dead things that God says that their flesh will be healed, their spirit renewed, and new life will come. I wonder what this was like for Ezekiel. I wonder what it was like to be told to preach to bones. It seems, like, it seems like a useless task in the midst of what has already happened there, whatever great calamity it was that made all of these bones and brought all of this death. It's long gone. It's beyond hope. And God is telling him to preach into a hopeless situation. But he's calling him to preach into a hopeless situation with an unnatural hope. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I wonder, which message was harder for Ezekiel to preach? A message that calamity was going to come? Or a message that restoration was possible? Which takes more faith? Which one is easier to believe? And Ezekiel, in obedience, preaches to the bones. And he tells them the promises of God. God tells him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. 
So Ezekiel preaches into this situation, into these bones, and in response, he hears a noise. In the place where there should be no noise, because bones cannot move on their own, in a place that should be full of silent death, he hears a noise. He hears a rattling. He hears a rattling as the bones clink together, as they are, they are joining with one another. And bone comes against bone, and then sinews, and then flesh. But there is form, and there is not life. And so God tells Ezekiel to preach and prophesy again, and then the form is filled with the spirit of life, and those who were slain lived. And as they stood before Ezekiel, they were not worn down, wounded, frail beings. Verse 10 says that they were an exceedingly great army. They had strength. They had purpose. They had a task. And then God explains this vision. In verse 11, he says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. So God is echoing the words of the people. The people are saying we have no hope. We are cut off. Our bones are dried up. And God tells Ezekiel to explain what is happening here. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I bring you up from them. And I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. These bones are the people of God, and they say their bones are dried up, but God says, no bones are beyond my redemption. And what will be the result of this redemption? Verse 14, after this happens, after the graves have been opened and Israel has been restored, then you will look back and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it. They have no ability to save themselves, no hope in their own strength, no way to reorder and enliven their own bones. But God has said that he can and he will. And then when he does, they can look back and that they can see that when God opened their graves, it was in response to the promise that he made. And so therefore, the word and the promises of God can be trusted. So church, the lessons of these words are not simply for the ancient people of Israel. The vision given to us as the church is not a valley of dry bones, but a cold, dark tomb. A tomb that on the third day was empty. There was a rattling. There was a restoration. There was a resurrection in accordance with the promises of God. The resurrection is the final proof that God's promises of restoration and redemption are true and can be trusted. The dead have been raised. Jesus is alive. And now, therefore, we have an unshakable hope. God has said it. God has done it. And now we can trust in the word and the promises of God. And we, friends, are the dried bones we are, we were the dry bones, we are now redeemed, and we are now, church, the raised up army of God 
who has been saved from the penalty of our sins and from the enemy of death itself. We have been redeemed and restored. Which is more difficult? To save us from death itself and to forgive all of our sins against the creator of the universe? Or to restore and sustain us during a pandemic? If God can do the former, and he has, can we not trust that he will do the latter, and he is? So in response to this, church, I challenge you, I call upon you, I exhort you, prophesy. Prophesy to this virus. Prophesy to the world. Prophesy to your budget. Prophesy to your neighbors. Prophesy to your family. And you say to them, our God is a God who restores. We are not cowering in fear. We are not just simply hunkering down until this blows over. We are a strong and mighty army who stands up in the face of adversity. And we prophesy to that adversity in the name of God. We prophesy as living people, a people with hope, both as a future hope in the restoration of all things at the return of Christ and a present and clear hope now. I have spoken. I am the Lord and I have done it. The word of the Lord can be trusted and the word of the Lord speaks of restoration so you can have hope. So friends, when you are in a place of being tempted to despair in the midst of this confusion, prophesy to yourself. Prophesy to yourself that the words of God are true, that the words can be trusted. When you look forward into an an unknown future, and when things are out of our control and we struggle with trusting, trusting the sovereignty of God, let him look you in the eyes through his word and ask you, when you look at your budget, when you look at your church, when you look at your community, God is asking you, when you look around, can these bones live? Can these bones be restored? Church, I hear a rattling. I hear a restoration. And so I challenge you in the name of Jesus. Be strong and courageous. Have hope. Rest assured in the promises and the word of God and his ability to sustain and has emptied the tomb. He has saved you from your sins and he has not forsaken you or forgotten you now. And we stand in that truth to be lights in this world in a difficult time. Prophesy, church. Prophesy. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we need a hope that comes from outside of ourselves right now. We need a hope that comes from you. And Lord, we pray that as the church, we will not merely endure these confusing and difficult days, but that we will thrive 
and that we will stand strongly within them and that we will actively engage our community and our neighbors and those in need and that we will preach to one another and we will prophesy about your word and your goodness. Let us be standing in the midst of this as a strong and mighty army, bringing the truth of your redemption and the glory of your name to bear on these days. Bless the church, Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.